I haven't got a brain. Only straw. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? Yes, I guess you're right. Hey, cassettes, and welcome back to the Black Case Diaries. Oh, my Woo! gosh. Wait, we're oh, back? my gosh. Woo! We're back already? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It took a long time. Already. <laughs> but yet, oh. it still felt like not a lot of time. <laughs> oh, we're back in the saddle again. <laughs> Can you believe it? Oh, on the road again. <laughs> yeah, we're back in Black Case Diaries. Uh, hey. That's true. We're three old friends who are learning everything we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Robin. I'm Marcy. And I'm Adam. We're back after a summer hiatus and ready to go on yet another learning journey with you, this time into the land of Oz. Oh my goodness, for the second time. Yes, the second time we're going, oh, we're returning to Oz, but... Um, Backwards. We, yeah, <laughs> the other one, <laughs> we covered Return to Oz a couple of years ago. And now we're returning to Oz. You know, time travel. Yeah, yeah. a prequel. You this know, is the prequel. This is actually yeah. This is the this is the lesser known prequel to Return to Oz. Holy, wow! What a different world. That's right. This week we're finally attempting to tackle the ultra famous 1939 musical that cemented its place in American culture as one of the most loved films of all time, The Wizard of Oz. Oh man. Yeah. This is the quintessential classic yes i don't think there are any other movies i mean maybe (laughs) if we dug deep you could pick another another one but this is like the classic movie yeah this is what people think of when they think of the golden age of hollywood yeah yeah author l frank Baum published the first book in his oz series in 1900 he called the title character dorothy and set the story in a land named for the last drawer in his filing cabinet the lore goes the children all over town knew who he was they would yep. show up at his house and mm. ask him to tell them stories and he would basically he did this thing where he would americanize european folk stories and stuff mm. so that the kids understood it yeah in america and they would all come and then he started telling these stories that he was making up about dorothy and oz and all that kind of stuff but he didn't have the name of oz made up yet yeah and a little girl in the crowd was like where did they live mm-hmm. and he was like where where did they live uh where where did they live you know and he was like looking around oh the God. room <laughs> and he saw the drawer, drawer. saying o through o z, to z. Wow. yeah and then he they lived in oz of course you know? <laughs> that's wow. like oh yeah that's like the romantic <laughs> yep. myth yep. of you know where it came from The book was a success and would one day be considered the first American fairy tale. Although it has been over 120 years since its debut, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz has never been out of print. Baum wrote 13 sequels to his book until his death in 1919. Other authors later took up the mantle as the historians of Oz and continued the series, some creating unofficial spinoffs and sequels. The first Oz book, the first Wizard of Oz book, was printed with color i think 24 color illustrations yeah and color books were not really a big thing back then Mm -hmm. and so that was one of the things that made the book an instant hit the wizard of oz in 1939 was not the first adaptation of the story but it's certainly the most well-known in the 1930s powerhouse studio mgm secured the rights to the first book beating walt disney to the punch (laughs) walt disney Ah. wanted to do this but he could not Soon after, they began a notoriously difficult production featuring a now-iconic cast, including 16-year-old Judy Garland. Today, we're headed back to the Emerald City to learn all about the making of this iconic film. So, come join us as we follow the yellow brick road into the history of The Wizard of Oz. Follow, 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 follow the yellow brick road. You can't get enough of this because, like I said before, it's... The ultimate classic movie. There's mm-hmm. there's never a time when it's on that I won't enjoy watching mm-hmm. it. Yep. It's iconic characters, iconic world. Like you said, quotable. It's just yeah. It's funny. Mwah. Like it's still yeah. it, it, chef's it's, kiss. It it is timeless in a lot of ways. Yes. And it's so fascinating how a movie from the late '30s is so timeless. Yeah. Yeah. It has that that grittiness of 
film and you could see yeah. the technicolor and, and movies don't look like that anymore. No. So obviously we can see how it's mm-hmm. dated and the way it looks. Yeah. But I mean, it's just that's just part of its charm. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't make it seem like it's an old quote unquote no. old movie. I love being able to see the wall. <laughs> When Dorothy's about to go down the yellow brick road yeah. away from Munchkinland, mm-hmm. for the first time, she's just turns around waving at them, you know, mm-hmm. takes a couple steps and then waves mm-hmm. again. It's like, well, yeah, she can't go because the wall is right there. <laughs> yeah, there's no actual uh, you know, yellow so brick road. So they have road. to fade to black and then come back up later. And it's just, it is it is very charming. <laughs> yes. That's the word yeah. for it. You can tell it's a set. Yeah. You know, it's very clearly a set. But it, it's in, in the most beautiful way. Yeah. I mean, the, the matte painting backdrops... Mm-hmm are gorgeous yes it's so it's it's so well done you can still easily suspend your disbelief Mm -hmm. and just believe yes the whole thing especially when you're a kid and i still remember when i watched this i still remember the things that went through my head watching this as a child and and how i saw it when i was a kid and it really like has that kind of an impact on you yeah Mm -hmm. i remember we all went to the ohio theater here in columbus to go see it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my sister Becky was about three, four years old. She had not seen it yet. This was yeah. Becky's first time seeing The Wizard of Oz, and it was going to be on the big screen at the yeah. Ohio Theater. It's a super elegant theater in downtown Columbus. Yes. We were sitting there, and it got to the scene with Glinda, where Glinda mm-hmm. shows up in this pink bubble. And the place is all quiet because everybody's just so into the movie. Mm-hmm. And Becky, I hear Becky go, Bubble gum. <laughs> <laughs> Oh and people were God. like giggling. You could hear people yep. get, you know, because she said it so loudly. Loud. Oh a little my kid. gosh. All right. So normally I say here, for those of you who haven't seen this movie, <laughs> um, but now I'm going to say for a refresher on this movie, because everyone has most certainly seen this one. <laughs> if you haven't, don't feel bad. It's, it's really cool. You'll classics. get to see it for the first time. That, yes. That we're, is true. Um, you probably know how it ends. So it's probably still safe to listen to this episode yes. first. Good point. On a farm somewhere in Kansas, young Dorothy Gale dreams of a better life. One day, a tornado rips through her home, picking up her house with Dorothy and her dog Toto still inside. During the disaster, Dorothy hits her head and falls unconscious. When she wakes, she finds that she has been transported into Munchkinland, located in the fantastic and colorful land of Oz. Dorothy learns that she has unwittingly killed the Wicked Witch of the East and has made an enemy of the Wicked Witch of the West. Unsure of how to get home, Dorothy follows the advice of Glenda the Good Witch, which is to follow the Yellow Brick Road into the Emerald City and ask the Wizard of Oz for help. Along her journey, Dorothy meets new friends who also seek the help of the Wizard. While trying to avoid the evil doings of the Wicked Witch of the West, she soon finds herself longing for a way back home. Yeah, it's kind of funny how immediate it is. She's singing about, oh, man, like, I want to go far, far away from Kansas. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kansas is so boring. Yep. And then, like, five minutes later, like, five <laughs> minutes into Oz, she's like, I have got to get home. Yeah. I, yeah. She's like, I <laughs> did not mean to wish for this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Monkey's this, paw, uh, finger curl. Yeah, exactly. She's like, bro, I am done. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I would like to go back. Yes. <laughs> They're like, oh, but you've got these red shoes. She's like, yeah, that's fine again yeah. i just want to no. go home yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's more than i bargained for <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i'm i'm a child just, did you yeah. guys forget that or... <laughs> all right you guys ready for that lovely making of section um oh, yeah i hope we're ready <laughs> it's made of the making of. it's 10 pages long folks <laughs> yeah buckle so, up <laughs> so strap in you know get your tornado stuff together i don't know yeah. you're, you're like you're like bunker survival, yeah. <laughs> survival <laughs> kit yeah thank you Uh, Gotcha. It's a tornado of information. Yes, exactly. (laughs) There you go. Samuel Goldwyn purchased the rights to the wonderful Wizard of Oz in 1934 for $40,000. Wow. Change now. Yeah, that's like less than a car now. (laughs) Yeah. There is some dispute over who originally suggested that MGM make the film. MGM producer Arthur Freed, the man credited with many of the studio's musical productions, claimed that he suggested that MGM buy the rights to the film so that Judy Garland could play the role of Dorothy. Wizard of Oz producer slash director 
Mervyn Leroy claimed that it was the first film he wanted to make after joining MGM. Judy Garland had signed a contract with MGM in 1935 when she was only 13 years old, just after changing her name from Frances Gum. Before The Wizard of Oz, she had appeared in several shorts, singing alongside her sisters. Yeah, the Gum sisters. Wow. It's kind of cute. Yeah. So when when your sister said bubble gum, well, she was getting it. She was there, yeah. <laughs> But it was an appearance in the film Broadway Melody of 1938 that really got MGM's attention. In it, she sang the song, Dear Mr. Gable, You Made Me Love You. We're going to we'll link to it so you guys can listen yes. to it on the, on the blog. Mm-hmm. MGM paid Samuel Goldwyn $75,000 for the rights to make the film. And soon casting was underway. Even though Judy Garland was originally Freed's first choice as Dorothy, she wasn't the only person considered to play the part. MGM's parent company at the time urged the producers to choose a bigger name, like, say, Shirley Temple. When Roger Edens, MGM's vocal arranger, met with Temple, he felt that she lacked the range needed for the part. Temple was also under contract with the Fox Film Corporation, and they were unwilling to loan her to a competing studio. According to Hollywood legend, there had been rumors about Temple playing Dorothy for years. One story was that Fox and MGM were going to do a star swap, Shirley Temple for Clark Gable and Gene Harlow. However, with the death of Harlow in 1937, this idea supposedly fell through. This is one of those legends that yeah. we cannot prove. <laughs> yeah. It is not something that, you know, it's just one of those things that kind of floats around. There are a lot of those with this movie. This movie mm-hmm. is so legendary. There's lots of little myths and things. And this is one of those that maybe, yeah. maybe, I, I mean. In February of 1938, MGM announced that Judy Garland the little girl with the big voice, would play Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. This was her seventh feature film in only two years, not counting her short film appearances. Yeah. As a young girl from Minnesota, Garland embodied the character of Dorothy, a Midwestern child thrown into a bright and chaotic world. At first, the directors had Garland wear lots of makeup and a blonde wig. George Cukor, One of the several directors that worked on the project removed the wig and the makeup and told Garland to be herself. This change had a remarkable impact on the film, as Judy was able to bring her own experiences into the part. I can't see anyone being a more perfect Dorothy. Oh, yeah. Honestly. Although the success of The Wizard of Oz was the result of many people, no one receives more credit for its staying power than Judy Garland. Ray Bolger, who played the Scarecrow, later said that she was the biggest star he worked with on the set. She brought the film together in a way that no other young actor could have, with her unmatched singing ability and charisma. Yes. There it is. She made the audience love her immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, it was quick, you know, and people had already loved her, like, in other stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this was, like, this was her movie. Mm Mm-hmm. The way that Judy Garland was treated on the set of The Wizard of Oz has become one of the most tragic tales of the so-called golden age of Hollywood. You know, you watch the commentaries, you watch the interviews, yep. you watch all the stuff, and they do not talk about this. No, mm-hmm. they do not. So, yeah. We'll, we'll just uh, skip over the sad stuff and... Uh, <laughs> we're I mean, that's kind of what... Yeah, that's kind of how it feels. <laughs> you know? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Once Garland signed with MGM and was cast into the role... She was reportedly ordered to lose weight. 12 pounds. Wow. This was the beginning of a lifelong struggle with disordered eating. Man. Garland herself said that it was her own mother that gave her diet pills as a young teenager to keep her weight down. Some sources claimed that while she spent several hours filming, she lived on a diet of chicken soup, black coffee, and cigarettes. She and her co-stars were reportedly given caffeine pills so that they could increase the length of their shoots and were given more drugs to combat the insomnia side effects. Despite the difficult filming conditions, the actors portraying the munchkins on the set recalled Garland's kindness to them. 
She gave every one of them signed pictures and Christmas gifts. At one point, she bought 25 pounds of chocolate and gave it to them all to share. Yeah. Aww. They said they were very fond of their time filming mm. with her oh, in Munchkin so Land. Sweet. Actor Margaret Hamilton had been a fan of the book series ever since she had been a young child, and she was thrilled when her agent told her that MGM was considering her for a role in the film. When she asked which part, her manager replied, The Witch. Hamilton reacted with surprise, to which her manager responded, Who else? <laughs> oh, man. Poor Margaret Hamilton. Yeah. Hamilton was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Woo. Yeah, and has been, and had been a kindergarten teacher before landing her first role on Broadway. Can you imagine, guys, the Wicked Witch of the West wow. was a kindergarten teacher. Wow, dang! Hamilton would play screen roles that were, in her own words, women with a heart of gold and a corset of steel. She was a badass. Yeah, this is a badass woman. Yep, <laughs> she really was. Yeah. She was thirty six years old when yep. they cast her as the Wicked mm-hmm. Witch. She was recently divorced in yeah. nineteen thirty eight. Recently divorced and yeah, had a three-year-old a son. Yeah. And she was trying to support herself with mm-hmm. acting. Wow. She had played the Wicked Witch in a stage musical in Cleveland before landing this role, which she almost lost to actress Gail Sondergaard. Despite her on-screen counterpart, Hamilton was, by all accounts, a gentle and loving woman and was a great supporter of charitable causes. Yeah. Very nice. Aww. Yeah, she was a wonderful lady. She was mm-hmm. very kind. During test screenings, younger audiences found the Wicked Witch to be just too scary. Children had to be carried out crying throughout the film. Due to this, they cut dozens of Margaret Hamilton's lines, limiting her to just over 10 minutes of screen time. Oh, Jeez, I, I have thought about that. It's like, she's not in it all yes. that much. <laughs> yeah, nope. She's really not. It's nope. a shame. Still, she made a lasting impact on kids everywhere who were still terrified of the Wicked Witch. So, this is probably, besides, like, Dorothy, what's mm-hmm. going on with Judy Garland. Yeah. This is one of the most iconic film characters of all time. Mm-hmm. Yes. She's in the movie for 11 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. What do you think about <laughs> it? Like, it's incredible. Like, she she made such an impact as this character that, like, 11 it's, minutes yeah. of time. It's insane. I mean, she scared so many kids. Yeah. She scared so many that Mr. Rogers had to have her (laughs) on his show, the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, and have her talk about how it was just a costume and, you Mm -hmm. know, how he put on a voice and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I do wish, though, that I know I doubt it's available, but if there was some way to get like like an extended director's oh. cut or something oh, that would where it puts cool. all of her you know, like yeah. everything of hers back right. in that would be so cool yeah the dvd has like a lot of cut stuff but i don't yeah. know if there's many of the witch during her first scene as the witch margaret's costume caught fire when she was supposed to disappear in a pillar of flame the trap door didn't lower quickly enough and hamilton's face and hand were burned In an interview, she described a member of the makeup team rushing her to the first aid station and removing the makeup while Margaret was in agony from pain. When they were done, he told her that he was sorry, but he had to remove the makeup because it was copper-based and toxic and would have continued to eat into her face. Hamilton suffered second and third degree burns. Fucking hell, dude. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So... The mm. worst part about this okay. was that this, the, the the take you see in the movie yeah. was the first take. They made her do it again, and that's when this happened. Oh. This was the second oh take. And they didn't even really need, because they used the first take in the movie. Because they never had her do it again after that, because oh, she refused. Oh, of course, yeah. 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 What the fuck? Yeah. Wow. Her paint was so, her face paint was so toxic that she had to drink the stuff through a straw, because she couldn't eat food. She yeah. couldn't hold food and... and Otherwise, it would, yeah. It was very toxic paint. Yeah. I mean, all the actors had to eat through straws, but she was one of them. Wow. When MGM announced that Ray Bolger would play the Tin Man, Mr. Bolger wasn't having it. The actor and dancer, along with his wife, went into MGM and asked that he play the Scarecrow instead. Bolger later explained that the part made more sense for him as an actor. He knew that since he was playing a character with no brain and no bones, he would be able to tumble and fall during his dance sequences, something that he was skilled in doing. Mm -hmm. 
All three of the male leads had a difficult time in their makeup and costumes. Bolger and Jack Haley, the Tin Man, would reportedly argue over who was more uncomfortable. <laughs> I have the answer for you guys. <laughs> yeah. If you guys wanted to guess, who do you think was the most uncomfortable of the three male leads? <laughs> I would... Probably... My fir- my instinct says the Tin Man, but yeah. but then at yeah. the same time the the lion is like in a full like onesie quote unquote. Yeah. I mean I don't know. It looks like yeah. a whole suit. But then also kind. the straw would probably. Yeah, that's, be- true. that's true. All, that's I mean true. all of them. It was bad yeah. for all of them. All of them. Yeah. I will tell you though, we're gonna talk about it in a minute. But it was definitely the lion. It was. Uh, okay. Ah, okay. Yeah. Parts of Bolger's first scene as the Scarecrow were filmed at the beginning of the production and some at the end. Because of this, you can see that Dorothy's pigtails keep changing size. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Whoopsie daisy. The Scarecrow song originally had an extended dance sequence where Bulger flew up into the air. While they were filming, the crew secured the actor on his harness and then called for lunch, leaving him hanging. Literally. <laughs> I feel like that was a joke they probably played Man. all the time. Yeah. Probably. Buddy Epson of the Bever- of Beverly Hillbillies fame was first cast as the Scarecrow, then the Tin Man. However, Epson was allergic to the aluminum powder that the makeup department used for the character. He was hospitalized and on oxygen, unable to return to set. In an interview later on, Epson explained that the pressure to perform was intense. He said that none of the producers believed that he was really sick, but that he was just angry that he wasn't the Scarecrow. He claimed that Mervyn Leroy went so far as to call his hospital room, asking why Ebsen wasn't on set. Bro. Ebsen said Bro. that the nurse who answered angrily told Leroy that Ebsen was a very sick man. Aww. He's a very sick man and we're going to keep him here until he's well, is what he said. She said wow. Friend. That's ridiculous. Wow. It's a hospital, dude. Yeah. I don't understand if he was like... <laughs> Oh, I don't feel good. I'm going to stay home today. Okay. Yeah, okay. Like, sure. But he's but... in the gosh darn hospital, <laughs> know, dude. Right? And what's crazy is supposedly they didn't tell Jack Haley about right. this issue. Uh, oh. They just went ahead and changed <laughs> the makeup. Once Buddy Ebsen was out of the picture, comedian and stage actor Jack Haley took over immediately. Yeah. The production failed to tell him why Ebsen had to bow out, conveniently leaving out his life-threatening situation. Growing up, when I was a kid, we'd watch this movie. Watch this movie yep. a lot. Yep. And every time we watched it, they'd be mm-hmm. like, "Oh, the, the first Tin Man died. He died. Like yeah, the first guy yeah. who put the Tin oh Man. Died. That was yeah, a myth that we that all story. right mm-hmm. that we all heard. It was like so many urban legends around the Wizard of Oz. And that was one of them. I'm happy to. I was happy to learn that that is not what happened. Yeah. yeah. Not only did he live, he went on to play Jed Clampett. Yeah. <laughs> the Tin Man is Haley's best known role. As an actor, he had a similar background to Burt Lauer, the Cowardly Lion. The two were good friends, and Haley would become the godfather of Lauer's son. Aww. I know. Because the aluminum powder proved to be so dangerous, the crew switched to a paste for Jack Haley. First, they would stretch a bald cap over his head, layer him with white grease paint, and then apply the aluminum color. Because the aluminum was pretty toxic, it Mm -hmm. was like the layer in between. Yeah. Once, the paste got into Haley's eye and caused a bad infection. He was out of the picture for a week to recover. Wow. Haley's costume was not actually made of tin, but the actor could not sit down while wearing it. In fact, he could hardly move, much like the character himself. This did not stop him from having a memorable musical number. Of all the male leads, Burt Lauer most likely had the most difficult costume, (laughs) as he said. As the Cowardly Lion, Laura wore two lion skins covered by mattress padding. Holy crap. Jeez. Yeah. After nearly every take, the crew had to peel the costume from his body, blow him dry, and wring out the costume before placing him in again. Yeah. He was literally, he was drenched after every, yeah, constantly drenched. Like the other actors, he had to eat and drink from a straw while in makeup and couldn't sit, but only laid down to rest. They said Aww. they said that he laid on a board at lunch and drank through a straw. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Dude, this is... <laughs> Lauer contributed his character's most famous line in the film. In one scene, the characters are put to sleep in a field of poppies. They are saved when Glenda sends a snowstorm to wake them. The lion wakes to say, unusual weather we're having, ain't it? (laughs) (laughs) 
They almost cut the line, but Laura was sure it would get a laugh, and he was right. Yeah, that's a very famous line. Yeah, because what the heck was snow? (laughs) Ain't it the truth was a catchphrase of Laura's throughout his career and as a stage actor. He says it in this film, too, when the wizard awards him his medal. Once Dorothy arrives in Oz, she is almost immediately greeted by Glinda the Good Witch of the North, played by Billy Burke. Burke was a successful Broadway actor and appeared in several silent films as a comedian. Her role as Glenda is probably her most famous. Here's the thing. Mm -hmm. If you're in The Wizard of Oz, that's your most famous role. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. That's always. Pretty much. That's what I learned from this. Mm -hmm. I was like, (laughs) even Judy Garland. Yeah. This is her most famous role. Like, this is. Burke said that Glinda was the closest thing she'd ever came to playing a stage character on screen. The film's writers chose to simplify the original story and combined two characters, the Witches of the North and South, to create Glinda. For years, there was a rumor that Burke did not do her own singing in the film. This is not true. MGM did hire another singer to record her part, but they ended up using Burke's recording. Her opening scene, which includes about six minutes of song, took her 14 takes, and they used the final one. Yeah. The film's title role was played by character actor Frank Morgan, who actually played six roles in the film. He was Professor Marvel, the gatekeeper, the cabbie, the guard, Oz, and the wizard. So some sources will say he played five roles, and some will say he played six. Uh-huh. And the difference, the reason that different sources say different things is because I don't believe he was ever credited as the head of Oz, uh-huh. the big floating head. Uh-huh. Yes. But it is his voice. And mm-hmm. the historian that I was listening to, he said the lip syncing matches so well uh-huh. that there's really, it couldn't, it couldn't like, have been dubbed. Yeah. yeah. Several men were considered for the part, including Ed Wynn, who turned it down because he thought the part was too small. Lol. <laughs> W.C. Fields was another option, but Morgan won the part. The later scriptwriters added more roles for the wizard actor to play, partly because they didn't want the audience to feel cheated because they didn't get to see the actor. I like to think that in universe, it's he's all these different characters because he's there. The yeah, whole time. yeah, he's uh, the wizard. He's the wizard. He can be everyone. That's what I like to believe too. Yeah. yeah. Just because we don't want to overlook this. There was, at one time, a plan for Morgan to appear as a character in blackface. Thankfully, this was never filmed. Thank (laughs) God they didn't do that. Whoops. Frank Morgan was a highly successful film and stage actor and was skilled at winning over audiences. This made him perfect as the bumbling fraud of a wizard who remains lovable despite the tricks he played on everyone in Oz. Who are you? Oh, I, I, I am the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. You are? Uh, I yes. don't believe you. No, I'm afraid it's true. There's no other wizard except me. You humbug! Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's exactly so. I'm a humbug. Oh, you're a very bad man. Oh, no, my dear. I, I'm a very good man. I'm just a very bad wizard. He is so talented. Yes. Because, you know, Dorothy says it. She's like, you're a horrible person. Yeah. Like yeah. You, and he just kind of fumbles his way through an explanation. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, oh, like, he's <laughs> just the guy from the real world. He's just too. doing his best. Yes. You know, even though <laughs> even though he doesn't. Like he tries. To, he offers to give Dorothy a ride in the balloon. Yes. And then just doesn't. 124 little people gathered on the set of The Wizard of Oz to play the Munchkins. According to a New Yorker article by Matt Weinstock, this amount of little people in one place was unprecedented. Activist Billy Barty claimed that the formation of the Little People of America, a nonprofit organization that provides resources to people of short stature and their families, came about because of the lifelong friendships formed between the actors on the Oz set. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. So that's a really good thing that yeah. came out from this production. Yay, remember that one and nothing else. Yeah. Jerry Marin, the actor that portrayed the leader of the Lollipop Guild, was just 17 when he was cast. 
He later explained that he had never seen another little person in his life and was thrilled to meet other people like him. When he passed away in 2018, he was 98 years old and was the last living former munchkin. Yep. Holy cow. Yeah. There was a long campaign to get the former munchkins a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. In 2007, after many letters and a sponsorship from Joey Luft, Judy Garland's son, the actors that played the munchkins got their star. They arrived at the ceremony in a carriage drawn by a horse of a different color. It was a suite on the DVD that I got. Like they showed oh, you this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And they showed you like they, I mean, they had them all. Everybody was wearing um, a version of their costume that they wore oh. in the movie. And real quick, as a side note, I love the horse of a different color. Yes. <laughs> I love that they just... Every time they cut back to the horse, it's a different it's color. A different color. I, lo- I love that. It's my f- one of my favorite parts of the movie. Fourteen screenwriters worked on the script for The Wizard of Oz at various times during the production. Officially, Noel Langley, Florence Ryerson, and Edgar Allan Wolfe are credited for the screenplay. While adapting the story from the book, a lot of changes were made. For example... Almost none of the book focuses on Dorothy's life in Kansas, but the writers felt that a full-on fantasy with no real-life component would not connect with audiences. Noel Langley takes credit for one of the film's biggest changes, the ruby slippers. The slippers are silver in the book, but ruby showed off the Technicolor much better. Yes, they knew this movie (laughs) was going to be in Technicolor, and they wanted it to look as bright and poppy as possible and can you think of a movie that is more poppy than Mm. the wizard of oz you know what i mean it's like the ruby slippers especially yeah stand out better than any other thing yeah ever the writers also decided that the hired hands on the gale farm would be the same actors as her companions in oz this came from the popular 1902 stage adaptation of the book. Five different directors worked on Oz. However, Victor Fleming is generally credited as the film's key director. Victor Fleming. Fleming. George Cukor made key changes to the film before leaving the project. King Vidor filmed the famous sequence where Dorothy sings Somewhere Over the Rainbow. He made sure to give the scene as much movement as possible to keep the audience engaged because it was common for solo songs to be static. Victor Fleming was a revolutionary director and cinematographer that had a knack for finding and fixing the flaws in any production. He had a reputation as a man's man, but he chose to accept this directing role because he wanted to make a film for his two young daughters. Those that knew him said that he wanted to give them something that would last longer than he would. Yeah, they said he Aww. made this for his kids. That's sweet. That's very sweet. Yeah. He said he was a man's man and he was also a ladies' man. <laughs> but then in his 50s, he really settled down and he was like, okay, I want to mm-hmm. yeah. make this for my kids. Make a yeah legacy. As Oz was coming to an end, MGM pulled Fleming from the project and asked him to fix another one of their projects. A little-known one called Gone with the Wind. Uh, (laughs) He would later be known for directing two of the most influential films of the 20th century in the same year. Yep. Jeez, oh, man. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Gilbert Adrian designed costumes for hundreds of productions, with The Wizard of Oz being one of the most iconic. He created probably the most famous costume piece in film history, the ruby slippers. I mean, right? 100%. Is there anything yeah. more famous than the uh. ruby slippers? <laughs> the slippers were a regular pair of shoes covered in red satin, lined with cream-colored leather, and covered in 2,300 sequins. <laughs> they also had felt on the soles so that Judy Garland didn't make a lot of noise walking and dancing on the set. These are in the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. That's true. Yeah. A piece of a costume. Yeah. Is in the Smithsonian. Yeah. That's, That's big. huge. There were only six pairs ever made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of them was owned by Debbie Reynolds. Wow. Adrian was also responsible for Dorothy's iconic gingham dress and the Wicked Witch's all black garb with a pointed hat. 
In fact, the witch of the books looks nothing like the one in the film. This portrayal of witches became the standard. This blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. Because was... when you think of this just Halloween witches, mm-hmm. you look, you picture this. Yep. The makeup on this film was groundbreaking, but also dangerous. We already mentioned Buddy Ebsen's disaster as the Tin Man and Margaret Hamilton's toxic green paint. But beyond that, no one had ever achieved this level of fantasy makeup and prosthetics. It was groundbreaking. And mm-hmm. because no one had ever done this stuff before, you know, a lot, a lot of it had been tested. They didn't mm-hmm. have, they didn't know. Mistakes. <laughs> yeah, things happened, you know. Yeah. Oops. There wasn't a lot of staff for makeup, but there were a lot of actors. So the production pulled workers from all over the lot to come create an assembly line of makeup. Jack Dawn was the artist that created the makeup designs, like adding a hooked chin and wart to the witch. Yeah. Uh, they had people from the mailroom putting noses on people Man. and stuff. Yeah. That, for them, that was probably a fun day. Yeah, it probably was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Arnold Gillespie was in charge of the several special effects used in the film. The Wizard of Oz achieved one of the most surprising and exciting special effects ever seen on the big screen when it seamlessly transitioned from a sepia-toned Kansas to a brightly colored Oz. The scenes in Kansas were filmed with black and white film, but the film was washed in chocolate brown sepia. Yeah, that's why it looks sepia and and not black and white. When Dorothy first arrives in Oz, she steps from a black and white world into a colorful one. The scene begins using black and white film as Dorothy gets up and walks down the hallway. After that cut, the rest of the film is in technicolor, even though it still appears to be black and white. Set designers painted the interior wall of Dorothy's house in sepia tones so that it would look like she was still in Kansas. Garland's camera double, an actor named Bobby Cachet, steps into the frame wearing a sepia-colored dress. The audience sees Cachet open the door from behind, and she steps off screen to hand Toto to Judy Garland. Garland then walks into the frame, wearing her classic blue and white gingham dress. I am flabbergasted. Isn't that amazing? To be honest with you. Because I had always wondered that. Yeah, how they did it? like, this is such an old movie. How do they do that effect? I'm not going to think about it. Yeah. Yep. They of course they painted this stuff yeah. to look like sepia. That is cool as hell, man. So so cool. And like uh, this scene, I yeah. remember seeing this for the wow. first time. Like I remember my my mom being like, "Watch! Like you have to watch this. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is so cool." This, I think this is the perfect place to use the ter- the term movie magic. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. Wa- this is magic yeah and i would love to have been in the first theater (laughs) to see i would i want to watch the audience during this moment yeah Yeah. i mean and this is the thing is that a lot of people think that the wizard of oz is like the first color movie Mm -hmm. and it it wasn't but it's yes it wasn't the first but i feel like it had such an impact because it had never been done on this level Yeah. yeah Glinda's bubble was actually a glass orb. It took two weeks to properly light it with four different lights before it was ready for filming. Man, that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When the Wicked Witch was writing in the sky, the artist used a miniature witch on the tip of a pen and dragged it through cloudy water to get the effect. (laughs) That is so cool. What the hell? That is awesome. Now, see, now I got to watch this and pay so close attention. Attention, It's really cool how they did all this stuff. During the twister scene, there is a tornado footage superimposed on the background set while the foreground shakes. There were several platforms that the artists were moving to make it difficult for Judy Garland to stand. There were also heavy wind machines and miniatures used in the scene, which made it look very real for 1939. I think it looks, it's, it holds up really well. Yeah, it does. It, does. it looks mm-hmm. really good. And, you know, a lot of these special effects were just, when you know what they did, it's like, oh, of course, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I think the witch melting at mm-hmm. the end of the movie is one of those things where uh, it's like, oh, obviously she's on an elevator. Yeah. Uh, right you know mm-hmm. but what they did 
with the Wicked Witch when she's melting at the end of the movie is that they had dry ice underneath her underneath her gown, mm-hmm. her robe, mm-hmm. and they had to tack the robe on the outside edge right, so of the opening in, yeah. because the first time they did it, Uh-oh. the air, once the shaft opened for her yeah. to go down, the oh, air no. blew her dress <gasps> up. up. Oh, no. Oh no! And of course, I couldn't. They couldn't have that. Yeah. So they tacked That's it not down. PG. <laughs> yeah, they tacked it down uh, on the outside. Had the dry ice underneath her. They put her in a hat that was bigger, so it looked like her head was shrinking. Uh, and then when they had her go down, that's why her cloak stays, stays. Uh, because she goes down and like perfect. the cloak is going it ends up. Like, up. Kind of puffs up a little bit too, doesn't it? That yeah. probably yeah. happened because the air yes. was still yeah. coming yeah. up. Because the air was coming yeah. up from the shaft. Right? What the hell? Smart. Yeah. Cedric Gibbons was the art director that created many of the sets used in the film. The Munchkinland set was built a quarter to life scale and was 90 feet tall. Holy yeah. cow. <laughs> <laughs> the sets were filled with live birds that can be seen in the background. Originally, set designers dyed the water in Munchkinland blue, which dyed the ducks blue as well. Whoops. <laughs> Whoopsie daisy. They had to change this and painted the bottom of the pool blue instead. Yeah. Uh, Good idea. That's smart. why. They that's had to why. take those ducks out and give them a nice wash. Oh, uh, some they, Dawn dish. Soap. I was going to say. <laughs> you can't be dyeing animals different colors. Nope. <laughs> yep. That's why pools are blue on the bottom now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the yellow brick road was not very wide at all, and all of the backgrounds were matte paintings that were composited into the shots later. So for sets like the Witch's Castle, only the parts that the characters interact with are actually there. This is true for the Wizard's Throne Room as well. Yeah. Mm, Pretty much everything they touch, that's it. Everything else is a matte painting that wasn't painted on the set. So Mm -hmm. like they were just composited in later. It's so believable though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They did such a good job. I mean, yes, you can see where the edge is. If you look at, you kind of look down at their feet, you can see where the floor meets the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of the birds on the set. Oh, um, yes. So they filled up, they like borrowed these birds, I think from like the San Diego Zoo or something. <laughs> nice. And they had them all over the set. Mm-hmm. And in the infamous, you guys remember the urban legend oh, yes. of the hanging, the hanging oh, yes. man in the background. Mm-hmm. It is just a bird. <laughs> That's it. They said that when the film was being shown on TV, which is when it really got popular, because mm-hmm. it wasn't popular immediately. Yeah. And so when it really got popular on TV, you know, the screen was much smaller. Yeah, and seeing yeah. the birds on the TV screen then was confusing to viewers. Yes. And, you know, because of that, you know, things like stories like that appeared. Yes. I believe it was a heron or a crane of yeah. some kind because it was a big enough bird to yeah. be confused. And it was just standing there. It wasn't like yeah. a like a little sparrow that just zoomed by. Right. Yeah. And so they said like the, the, that kind of stuff didn't really translate mm-hmm. on a tiny screen. And so. No. As we mentioned before, there were several issues with production, of course. Yes. After her brush with flames early on, Margaret Hamilton refused to do any scenes that included smoke or flame. When her double stepped in to ride a smoking broomstick, the broom exploded. She also had to be hospitalized. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there were a lot of hospitalizations during this this, uh, production. For goodness sake. Some of the actors playing the flying monkeys had to be hospitalized because their harnesses broke during a flying scene. Yes. Why? <laughs> Yikes. This is bad. Yeah, the scene, oh, no. the scene where they all come in and they grab Dorothy mm. and they take her away to the castle. Oh, to... my gosh. Yeah. One of the biggest complaints that the actors had on set was that it was very hot. Yes. See oh, our boy. earlier comment about the lion. Yes. <laughs> Because of the Technicolor process, the studio had to be very well lit. This made it over 100 degrees at times. Yes, it was incredibly hot. That's insane. They needed so many extra lights that MGM had to go to other film studios to borrow lights all throughout production. Yeah. All right, guys, let's talk about the thing that one of the things that made this movie so iconic. Oh yeah. My goodness, the yes. music. 
Ah, MGM composer Herbert Stothart won an Academy Award for his score in The Wizard of Oz, which is not only weaved with melodies of the film's musical numbers throughout the story, but also included classical music like Night on Ball Mountain and original themes like the infamous Le Motif for The Wicked Witch of the West. Hey guys, what does The Wicked Witch of the West song sound like? <laughs> Composer Harold Arlen and lyricist E.Y. Harburg were both thrilled to write the musical numbers. The film relies on musical numbers to move the plot forward, which was still an innovative concept for movie musicals. Without a doubt, Over the Rainbow is the most famous song from the movie. Sung by Judy Garland, this tune became her theme song. Arlen and Harburg had finished most of the music before writing Over the Rainbow. It was the one song that was left, and they were frustrated because they knew kind of what they wanted, but it wasn't coming to them. Finally, on Arlen's way to the Grom's Chinese Theater with his wife, who asked to drive because he wasn't feeling well, they stopped in front of the Schwab's drugstore on Sunset Boulevard. That's when the burst of creativity for the tune came, and he jotted it down. Just out of nowhere. Just... Just... Like lightning, just. <laughs> Harburg wanted the song to be about the rainbow because he knew that Dorothy's life would be dull, with the one colorful part being a rainbow. I mean, you know? if you live in a sepia world, it's exactly got to be yeah. boring. The song was cut after the second preview because some executives thought it slowed down <laughs> the picture, and it was unseemly for an MGM star to sing in a barnyard. What? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> yeah. No, we don't need that. <laughs> Get rid of that most iconic song ever. It's slow. Thankfully, it was restored to the film before release. Heck yeah. Good. Dude, yeah. it would be, you'd have no context for how no. Dorothy feels about her own life. <laughs> no, none. Because other than the song, <laughs> it's completely unclear. Yeah. And without this song... Judy Garland wouldn't have a solo song. Yeah, in this yeah movie. true. At all. The wasted potential. True. Exactly. Munchkinland slash Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead slash Follow the Yellow Brick Road. I just put these yeah. all together just... in one big thing because yeah, it's, it feels like one song <laughs> because it, they it were really, so close. It really kind of goes from one to the other. Yes. It flows. When Dorothy arrives in Munchkinland, there are several minutes of songs. We can only hear two of the actual voices from the Munchkins, with the rest dubbed by voice actors. All the singing was done by the St. Joseph's Choir and sped up. Victor Fleming asked the songwriters to come up with a catchy tune for the chorus to sing as Dorothy leaves, and they came up with Follow the Yellow Brick Road. If I only had a brain. Ray Bolger's dancing was cut from this sequence, making his song a bit shorter than Jack Haley's. This made up by the fact that Bolger got the most screen time of the supporting actors. Mm. So their song lengths kind of corresponded with how much time they spent on screen. Yeah. Ray Bolger spent the most time on screen. He had the he had a shorter song than Jack Haley because of that. Jack Haley had the longest solo song, you know, in the middle and then uh, you know, the How- Cowardly Lion, Burt Lauer at the end had basically like three lines mm. of a song and then he had a full song later on. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because yeah. he, yeah. mm-hmm. he had that second song in Emerald City. I forgot. Yeah. They cut the sequence because of length, but also because it seemed a little too fantastical. The scarecrow flew up into the air and fought a pumpkin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why? If I only had a brain. This is such a famous song, too, mm-hmm. though. I think of all the three songs, this is the one that I know the most. Yeah, definitely. We're off to see the wizard. Each time that Dorothy sings We're off to see the wizard, she does a skip slash dance down the yellow brick road. As the film progresses, so does her skipping, changing with each new person she meets. It's a small detail that signifies how she's changing throughout the story. Yeah. Also, I think it had to do with the fact that the road wasn't very wide, and when they were all skipping together, when all four of them were together, they were smushing her in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she... They did say it was kind of small. Yeah. <laughs> if I Only Had a Heart. The song features a cameo from Adriana Casalotti, the woman that provided the voice for Snow White. In the song, she sings, Wherefore art thou, Romeo? <laughs> <laughs> It's fitting that she appears in the song because Disney's success with Snow White 
partly inspired MGM to go forward with The Wizard of Oz. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, fantasy could work. Fantasy everybody. musicals, yes. yes. It, and it, it, it worked. The Tin Man was once a man that fell in love with a wicked witch's maid. This made her angry, so she enchanted his axe to cut off his limbs, which were all replaced by tin. This is why he longs for a heart. Wow, I didn't Aww. know that piece of lore. That's crazy. Yeah. Bang on my chest if you think I'm perfect. Go ahead, bang on it. Beautiful. What a nickel. It's empty. The tinsmith forgot to give me a heart. No heart? In his finale, Haley swings from side to side as the other actors attempt to catch him, right? He's kind of mm-hmm. leaning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this was achieved by fixing his shoes to the floor, an old vaudeville trick that audiences in 1939 might have recognized. Yes, I love this trick. Yeah. It's in, uh, it's in Smooth Criminal, too, oh, obviously, the music yeah. video, right? It's so good. It looks so, <laughs> like... Yeah. If I only had the noive. <laughs> Brett Lauer only sings a couple of verses of his song because he has a solo musical number later in the film. It might seem unfair the lion gets to sing twice, but he has the least screen time of the other actors. When the lion makes his entrance, we see Bert's stunt double coming in on all fours, but the growling was all Lauer, and it was dubbed in. In 1939, my grandpa went to go see The Wizard of Oz with my Aunt Dot, Mm-hmm. And probably my Uncle Bob. I don't know if he was there or not. <laughs> but I know that when the cowardly lion came on and he was growling in the background, mm-hmm. Grandpa, according to Aunt Dot, got up out of his chair and hid under the seat oh, because he was so oh, scared. Oh, wow. I, I love... The cowardly lion is like... It's hard for me to pick, but if mm-hmm. I had to pick right now without thinking about yeah. it, the Cowardly Lion's kind of my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And his entrance is so good because he's growling and he's acting all tough. Go put him up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Such an animated And character. then the instant yeah. somebody's like, oh, I'll fight him back, he's like, ah. <laughs> you know, it's it's so funny how yeah. he's just immediately like, or what, Dorothy like bops him on the nose or something. Yeah. He's like, you didn't have to hit me. Merry old land of Oz. There's this. There's this one little song that 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 we're not going to mention. Like we don't mention officially, but when they're out of the poppy fields, there's this little song. Say, you're out of the woods. You're out of the. You know that yeah. that that part. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then Merry old land of Oz is right afterwards. Right. Right when they're entering the Emerald City. When the group makes it to the Emerald City, they are greeted with many happy residents. The women were dressed to mimic 1930s high fashion, and the men resembled wooden soldiers. The special effects team had to be very careful as to how to color the horse of a different color. Yeah. They decided to use jello powder that they sprayed on the horses. The animals love licking off the powder between takes. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Isn't that cute? Oh, Adorable. it's so good. If I were the king of the forest. This is the last song sung in the film. Feels weird, right? It yeah. feels even hearing me say that feels weird, yeah, right? That's the last song. Not quite a finale, is it? Yeah. Although it wasn't meant to be that way, a few other songs were cut afterward, including a joyful celebration after the group kills the witch and returns to see the wizard. Uh-huh. Yeah. So like, we actually only hear Ding Dong, the witch is dead one time, and it's mm-hmm. the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. When the witch is dead the second time, no one really... Uh-huh. Um, you see that like this, this, her guards are kind of like celebrating. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but that's pretty much it. Like They cut uh-huh. from that, and they're just kind of like in to see the wizard again. Do you, do you think the people of Munchkinland are like, well, I wonder if she did it. <laughs> and we haven't seen the witch for a while, or Dorothy, you know? Yeah. But may, uh, who knows what happened? I mean, I wonder, yeah. I wonder how they have any correspondence from like, people in other parts of yeah. Oz. Yeah. This song really showcases Lauer's stage presence and gives the audience a little more insight into the Cowardly Lion since he was introduced last. Yes. And he, yeah, yeah he really hams it up. Yeah, his... it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> what makes the dawn come up like thunder? What makes the hot and top so hot? What puts the apron apron cut? What do they got that I ain't got? Courage. Oh. You can say that again. Hmm? <laughs> I love how during it they like dress him up. They, they put a crown and, a, <laughs> yeah. and like a robe on him and stuff. They break a flower pot. Yeah. 
The last song I'll talk about is the Jitterbug, which is an outtake song. Mm-hmm. When the Wicked Witch sends her monkeys to stop Dorothy and her friends, she tells them that she sent a bug ahead of the monkeys. I don't even I didn't even realize she said that. Yeah. I didn't I don't even remember nope, that part, but she does say it in the movie. This was the Jitterbug, a creature meant to distract the group until the monkeys arrived. The production spent five weeks on this sequence before it was ultimately scrapped because MGM was afraid it would date the film. The, the name Jitterbug mm-hmm. is the same as the dance. Uh, right. And they thought, okay, well, that's going to yeah. firmly place this movie in the 30s. Mm-hmm. The song also added a strange tonal shift in an otherwise spooky sequence. Is, this is also when they kind of like tear the scarecrow up, right? Yes. Yeah, they oh, rip yeah. the scarecrow. And uh, I yeah. remember always hating that part. I hated really? it too. Oh my gosh. I felt so bad. Yeah. <laughs> but they put them back together. They did, yes. All right. Now we're going to talk about some fun facts. This version of The Wizard of Oz was the 10th screen adaptation of the book. Earlier adaptations include a 1925 silent version that starred Oliver Hardy and an animated short by Ted Eshbaugh in 1933. In the Eshbaugh version, Kansas is portrayed to be in black and white and Oz in color, just like the 1939 film. Yeah, Yeah. I wonder where they got that from. I wonder... This is likely due to the fact that the book describes Kansas as completely gray and Oz as very colorful in comparison. Toto was played by a Karen Terrier named Terry. (laughs) Terry was paid better than any of the little people hired to play the munchkins in the film. Oh my Sad, goodness. isn't it? That's awful. Well, yeah. You get paid in treats? What the heck? Yeah, no, he got, his trainer got the yeah. trainer. Yeah. Sorry, her trainer got paid a lot of right. money. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Judy Garland was devastated that Terry's trainer would not sell her the dog as a pet. She had grown very fond of her during filming. Because there weren't commercial false nails at the time, the makeup team glued cut-up negatives to Margaret Hamilton's fingers and painted them green. Yep. Oh, that's her wild. fingernails are cut up negative, painted green. That ah, is wild. That's a fun that's, fact. Yeah, that is cool. The sound of the birds in the haunted forest were played backward to sound even scarier. Meanwhile, one of the live birds on the set chased Ray Bolger because it wanted his straw. <laughs> <laughs> he had to hide until the bird was restrained. Yep. Wow. Oh, man. Dude, I, ne- I never noticed that the 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 birds were played in reverse. Yeah. I, that's weird. Adds like a weird, eerie thing. Yeah, I, it always felt like a super weird and kind of creepy yeah. thing. But I didn't realize that. All of the gifts that the wizard bestows in the film were different in the book. The book's version had the wizard giving the scarecrow a head of bran and needles. That way he had, <laughs> he had brand new brains and needles to prove he was sharp. Yeah. Ha! there's also one fun fact that i didn't put in here but i'm gonna say right now so and this is something people some people don't consider it to be a fact but whatever movie lore i guess Mm -hmm. so basically when the costume department was looking for a coat for professor marvel to wear on the set they had gone to secondhand stores Mm -hmm. victor fleming and frank morgan you know picked through the coats they chose one, you mm-hmm. know, for him to get fitted in. And when the costume department opened it, they saw on the inside that it said L. Frank Baum, which is the guy oh, who wrote yeah. The Wizard of Oz. What? Yeah. And they were like, Whoa. could this really be his jacket? And like the jacket that he's going to wear in this movie, like, is that really his jacket? Uh-huh. And they talked to his widow, and they showed him the jacket, showed her the jacket, and she said, yeah, that, that was his. What? A tailor ah! made him that in Chicago. Wow. Um, and so, you know, she corroborated that that was the jacket. Uh-huh. And so the jacket that Professor Marvel wears in the movie is L. Frank Baum's jacket. A lot of people have, you know, gone back and forth about whether or not this was true, whether wow. or not some people say it's too good to be true. It doesn't, you know, it's mm-hmm. such a wild coincidence. It's so crazy. But if it's not true, it should be. So yeah, that's, that's very cool. Yeah. 
there are the odds. Yeah, there is a really good Paul Harvey story about it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so if I could find that, maybe I would link to it, but I don't know if that's online or anything. <laughs> but yeah. That's really nice. cool. Yeah. I, ho- I yeah. hope it's true. All right. So next up, we have a little bit about the reception of the movie. Yay! Upon its release in 1939, The Wizard of Oz was not very successful. Yeah. That's hard to believe. Yeah, it was a bit of a disappointment. The movie itself was over $2 billion to make at the time. That was a massive Mm -hmm. budget. Dang. It wasn't until the film premiered on television in 1954 that it became a national phenomenon and one of the most viewed films in American history. In 1940, The Wizard of Oz won Academy Awards for Best Music and Original Song for Over the Rainbow, and Judy Garland won for her outstanding performance as a screen juvenile during the past year. Yeah, she won like a special Oscar. Yeah. Nice. The film has stayed in our hearts as even now the film has won awards for being in the Hall of Fame according to the Online Film and Television Awards. In 2021, it won for the song Over the Rainbow and Judy Garland as Dorothy Gale. In 2022, for Margaret Hamilton as the Wicked Witch, and then in 2023, for the score. It's incredible to think that Somewhere Over the Rainbow was almost cut from the film. In 1981, Judy Garland's version was entered into the Grammy Hall of Fame. In 2001, it was chosen as the Song of the Century by the National Endowment of the Arts. In 2004, it was chosen as the number one song of all time by the American Film Institute. That announcement coincidentally occurred on the 35th anniversary of Judy Garland's death. Imagine a universe where they did cut this. (laughs) Right. If you could somehow go back in time and show them how influential this song Mm -hmm. has become, they'd feel like absolute idiots. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, why would you even consider I don't know, this song really was so important to mm-hmm. music history and yeah. film history. And just to the idea that maybe they might not have put it in is a little it's, yeah. it's a little fun to think about. <laughs> All right. We're gonna wrap this up. Do you guys have anything lasting that you wanna say? I mean, what hasn't been said already? Exactly. This yeah. movie is absolutely iconic. There's that mm-hmm. word again. We're going to keep saying it because <laughs> yeah. it is. With iconic songs. <laughs> iconic characters, <laughs> iconic. iconic costumes, iconic world, iconic songs. Did I say songs already? Is, that, is this I'm movie repeating iconic? Myself. I can't. <laughs> I'm repeating myself. We're repeating ourselves. It's an absolute classic, yeah. and yeah. there's no doubt that everyone who's seen it would agree. Is... How did you guys first see this movie? Do you guys remember? Don't remember. I'm sure it was on TV. Yeah, and, probably. Uh, because, yeah. well, obviously it wouldn't be in theaters, but like, uh, yeah. I, I doubt, I don't think somebody showed it, uh, me a VHS or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it had to have been showing on TV. Yeah. And it's mm. and it's one of those movies that my parents knew, my mm-hmm. grandparents knew, and they probably just wanted to watch it. And then yeah. I was yeah. there watching along yep. with it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I know my mom showed it to me, yeah. and it was nice. like I said with each each of us kids, it was like a production, you know. Yeah, yeah. you know where it was yep. just like they made sure that we were old enough to remember watching mm-hmm. it. They because this song was really special to my mm-hmm. mom; she loved this song, mm-hmm. and it was my first dance song in my wedding. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So I, I I love this song, and I love the movie, and it's mm-hmm. it's really special to yeah. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, The Wizard of Oz is a sacred piece of cinematic history. It dazzled audiences with its innovative techniques in makeup and special effects and touched audiences with its performances. This is a film that, at times, feels like the embodiment of movie magic. It reminds audiences of their homes and their families. Margaret Hamilton said years later that every time she watched the film, she would try and fail not to cry. To her, it touched on the feelings she had as a young actor trying to make a living and how she always knew that even if she couldn't go home, Home was always with her. Because of its popularity, this film is one of the most influential in cinematic history. It's one that was never truly replicated, partly due to the incomparable presence of Judy Garland, a woman that many consider to be the greatest performer of all time. So if you're feeling lost, let The Wizard of Oz take you home. We hear there's no place like it. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Thank you. I think this is another case closed. Hey! Oh! Lovely. We're fresh. We're back. 
So <laughs> fresh. <laughs> Thank Sir. you everyone for listening to this episode. Ugh. We really appreciate it, especially our patrons. Thank you so much for listening. John, JD, Anthony, Shelly, Bob, Jaron, Jacob. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um Thank you so much for everybody who stuck around yeah. and is listening to us again. Coming back we, to us. We were gone for quite a bit of time. For a yes. podcast, two months is... Death. Basically death. <laughs> so for an indie podcast anyway. But yeah. we need the time. Thank you so much for sticking with us. And thank you for listening to our episode. And if you like this one, please listen to our other ones if you haven't yeah. heard them already. And, uh, yeah, you'll definitely want to go check out... Specifically, Return to Oz now. Yeah, this. we yeah, did a Return absolutely. to Oz episode. For Check some more that great out. Great lore. Yeah. yeah. And go to your local library and rent The Wizard of Oz. Yes. All right. Well, good night, everybody. Thanks. Good night. See ya. There's no place like home. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too.